Good morning. Today we are wrapping up our series uh, in, in the new beginning. We're looking at step 12 today. Uh, we've walked through the kind of the 12 steps of recovery over the last well, 12 weeks or so. And today we're wrapping things up. Today we're concluding and we're looking at how we can help those around us. Now that we've walked through all these steps of, of recovery, of redemption, how we can help those along the way as they process, go through that process as well. Today we're going to look at how in order to help others along their journey, how we ourselves need to be able to walk that journey. We're going to look at what it means and how it looks to help your neighbor, and we'll also look at the importance of protecting your own heart while you help others. As I was preparing for this message this week, I was thinking about running the race, and, and that you know, Philippians 3 talks about that. We're going to get to that passage in a second, but it made me think, I was wondering if anybody here participates in long-distance running or marathons of any kind. We have a few, maybe, yes. <laughs> Mitch? <laughs> well, there's a lot of things that go into preparing to run a long race, like a marathon or some kind of long-distance running. There's lots of training, preparation. There's a desire. There's a goal, an end. There's that mindset that you need to persevere through the race. And these are things that my brother knew about some years ago when he decided to run in Vancouver's annual half marathon, so 21 kilometers. He had never run anything of that distance before. And he, I mean, he went for jogs, he would do like five kilometer runs, and that was kind of the extent of how far he would run. But he had it in his mind that this year was going to be the year that he was going to run in the Vancouver's half marathon. As his brother and the rest of our family, we kind of, I think, gave him a little bit, maybe too much negative speak, and we didn't quite believe that this was going to happen. Didn't quite believe either that he was going to run the race in the first place or that he was going to be able to finish it. Even his friends were like, are you sure? Really? But he was determined. He was also determined not to prepare for it. He had it in his head that he could do it as he is right now. So he went, got some new shoes, they sat by the door. Day of the race, he took them out of the box, he put them on, drove to the start line, and he started to run that race. At about 16 kilometers, he had incredible pain running through his legs and his shins and his heels. But about Two and a half hours after he started, which is a little bit longer than the average person, he finished. He crossed the finish line, 21 kilometers. He had completed it. Got back to his car, drove home, promptly laid down on the couch. He did not get back up for a little bit. In fact, the rest of the week, or the next week or two, was just awful for him. At this time, my brother and I both worked for our dad at his wood shop, and we both shared an office together. And I can tell you that he only got up for two things for that week. It was to go to the bathroom, and it was to go home. He had a nice rolly chair, and so he just rolled everywhere he needed to go in the office. And that was, that was about as much movement as he did after the fact. And, and when he walked, it was like he was just a stiff board, because it just hurt. Everything hurt so much. I, I talked to him about this experience a little while ago, and I just asked him to recall, you know, what it was like. And he said, 
Uh, he said, if I would have prioritized that race even slightly in the preceding six months, I would have fared a lot better. He knew about that race for six months, and he decided not to prepare for it. It wasn't that he signed up the week of or it was spontaneous that other friends were doing it. No, this was his choice six months before. But he also said that he was dead set on finishing that race because, and I'm quoting here, it's better to finish something in pain than to give up and still be in pain. <laughs> Maybe not great motivation, but he completed it. Like my brother knows a lot better now in what he knew before too, the preparation to a race is vital in finishing well. Finishing a race is one thing, and I'll give it to him. He'd finished. But he did not finish well. He finished at severe cost over the next couple of weeks as he regained his strength and as things started to loosen up again. It's another thing to take time to break in those new shoes, to go for practice runs, to maybe have someone mentor you along that process, to walk you through and go, at 16 kilometers, you're going to hate yourself. At 20 kilometers, you're just going to see the finish line and not know if you're going to make it. And there's something about having people come alongside you and preparing to run a race. Some people even run together with other people so that they can encourage each other. Well, that's a little bit what we're going to talk about today, at least start with today. We're going to look at what it looks like to run this race with Christ that's set before us and how to do that well. We're also going to look at how we can help others along that journey and how we can persevere amidst trials that may come. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul is talking about the church in, in Philippi, and, and he's talking about how they need to put their trust in Christ instead of putting their trust in themselves. And Paul explains how if anyone has reasons to trust in themselves, that it was him. He, he writes and he says you know, that he's a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's a Pharisee of the law who upholds the law, and he was faultless in obeying all of God's commands from the Old Testament. You know, he was raised in that Jewish culture. If anybody were to put trust in themselves, it should be him, he says. But in verse 7, he continues and he says, But whatever were gains to me, all those things, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. So he's denying here anything that he's done in his life that has built a name for himself because he knows Christ is worth so much more than that. And he continues in verse 10, I want to know Christ, to know the power of, of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. That's the goal is being like Jesus in every aspect. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul has a lot of reasons to boast of all the things that he had done for himself and the name that he had made for himself. He wasn't just one of the Pharisees. He was high up. He persecuted Christians when they first uh, started following Christ because he thought, and all the other Pharisees thought at the time, that that was going against God's will and God's command. 
But he goes as far as saying that, you know, he considers all that worthless now because he knows Jesus. The name that he had made for himself, the position that he was in, is worthless because now he knows Jesus. Without Jesus, it's, it's worth nothing. Paul is saying, you know, the life I lived before Jesus was worthless now that I know him personally. And so today as we wrap up the series, we're focused on how we can help those who are in kind of next in line behind us as we're going through, or as they go through a process of reconciliation, of redemption. And I truly believe that the Bible teaches us that we can't help anyone unless we ourselves know, or at least have a solid foundation to help off of. And Jesus teaches this in Matthew 7 when he's speaking through the Sermon on the Mount. He says in verse 3, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? It's a bit of an over-exaggeration, and it's slightly different context of what Jesus is saying in here, but the lesson remains the same. We can't help anyone if we ourselves are in trouble. But having gone through a difficult process, we might be eager to help others in their process as well, if, especially if it's a similar situation that they're going through. We might be eager to step out and say, I just went through this, let me help you. But if we don't have a solid foundation, we can easily slip and fall back into that. First, we need to know how to run that race well before we can coach others in that process. There's no way we can teach, or I can teach a subject if I haven't learned it myself. But with that said, sometimes teaching a subject helps us learn. I've played guitar for many, many years, and some years ago I had someone ask me if I could teach guitar lessons. And I went, well, I've never done it before, but I know how to play guitar. And I have had a great teacher and a good friend of mine, so I first called him. I said, what do I need to know to teach guitar lessons? I'm like, really? How to, like, I know where I am now, and I know how to teach where I am now. I don't remember where I started, really. And so he helped me mentor others and, and teach guitar lessons. And that was a process, but in that process, I myself was relearning. Oh, that's right. Those are the basics of it, and that's how you do it. Okay. You can't really teach a subject or a craft if you haven't learned it yourself. My brother maybe should have trained more before his race. He could have had someone mentor him and walk him through and run with him. He could have asked for help for training. It's important in our walk with Christ that we have people who can mentor us and teach us. And as we grow and as we learn and, and as we walk through processes and, and go through life, we're able to then pass on that knowledge to others. So as we get built up, we can build up others as well. As we pour, as others pour into our lives, we can pour into other people's lives. This is the role of the church, to mentor each other, to build each other up to be with each other, to walk with each other, to cry together, to laugh together, to serve together. In Galatians 6, verse 2, it says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? It's to love God and to love others. And that's our mission statement here at the church as well, the LAC. Loving God, loving people. That's the core of it all. So run that race and help others along the way. It's, but it's not a race in the sense that we're trying to beat each other, that we're not trying to surpass each other or get to the finish line first. 
There is no first place in this race. This is a race about perseverance, about growing in the midst of trials and how to help others along that as well. In Luke chapter 10, it talks about the story about the Good Samaritan, and we probably, many of us probably know that story very well. But I want to read through that whole story today. Luke 10, verse 25 to 37, it says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus shared this parable. He said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw this man, he went and passed by on the other side of the road. So too did a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, that's two days' wage, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Jesus asked. The expert in the law replied, well, the one who had mercy and compassion on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Help your neighbor, serve your neighbor, love your neighbor. I'm like the expert of the law, but who is my neighbor? Is it just my close friends? Is it the people that I already love, that I already like being with? And Jesus challenges that, and he says, no, it's everyone. It's anyone. Everyone is your neighbor. So we're called to be a light. We're called to, to show Christ's love to others, to be Jesus. But we also need to be careful and to watch our heart. Watch our doctrine, our motives. Watch your, desi- your decisions closely. Because we can still be tempted. Jesus was still tempted. Yeah, we've made it through a process, but none of us are perfect. And we can all be uh, tempted to fall back into that. We might fall. We might relapse. And so we need to be careful. And that's what Galatians 6.1 gives us a warning as a, of as well. It says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore them gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Be careful. Watch out. Be on guard. For a long time growing up in B.C., Every year, year after year, my family would go hunting for Thanksgiving weekend. And we would drive five hours into the mountains, and there would be a lot of us, lots of family and friends that would come out, and we would all camp together and go hunting together for mule deer. The road driving into camp was a little rough. You could bring your truck, 
but you couldn't really bring any big trailers. You could have a small utility trailer maybe for your quad. And so when Aaron and I were engaged, we did this trip as well, and we brought a little utility trailer with things packed on it. And the road climbed up this mountain, and it was just steep down on each side, no trees around. But as it climbed and climbed, it turned and went onto the mountain, and it kind of plateaued. It didn't matter what time of year it was. It didn't matter if it had just rained or if it hadn't rained for months. That plateau was always muddy there. And because of that, that road was just full of ruts. It was, as it came and turned into the mountain there, it was tight bush on each side and, and rough bush too. And so you had to be careful where you were driving because you didn't want to slide into a rut that would take you down and scrape along that hard bush and all those hard branches there. So when Aaron and I were engaged, we went, did this trip and we drove up and we had the, this utility trailer on my truck and we got to this point and I had driven it before and I said, okay, well, I know kind of how to do this. I've done this before. And so I started going through and started driving down and the truck was kind of bouncing a little bit, but the trailer, the wheelbase was a little bit narrower than my truck and it caught a rut and started going off and kind of slid down against the bushes. So the trailer was on an angle and my truck was going and, and I could feel it was pulling me. It wanted to pull me into that ditch as well. But you have to just kind of steer against it. It was, it was slick and so you just, just got to keep going forward. You can't back up. You can't really get out of those ruts. Well, eventually that trailer pulled me into that rut and it dragged me to the side and I had some nice scratches along the edge of my truck because of it. But you couldn't back up. You had to just go through it. You could steer against it, but it just it didn't help. I couldn't get out. I could only go forward. The same thing can happen to us as well. If we're not careful, those who are trying to help sometimes can pull us off course, and we can both get hurt because of it. And that's why we need to be cautious. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying <laughs> don't help anybody. That's not what we're saying here. Offer a hand where you can. And if God is calling you, if he's putting a name on your heart, we talked about this last week in prayer and meditation, if God is calling you to go and help somewhere, please go. Maybe discuss that with your mentor or with close friends around you. But if you're unsure, if you're eager to help but not sure how to help, it's really hard to step into something without knowing. And sometimes if you're eager to help and you want to help, but you're quite not sure, you don't have a strong foundation, it's easy to slip. Paul writes a letter to his friend, Timothy, who was a man that he had mentored for many, many years. And Paul and Timothy traveled together. Timothy was a younger pastor, and, and he pastored a church that, was, that had struggled for a long time, especially in areas dealing with, with bad teaching and false doctrine and, and poor beliefs. And so Paul left Timothy at this place and, and continued on. And, uh, and so Paul, like, Paul writes a letter to Timothy sometime later to encourage his, his friend. And partway through, Paul says this. He says, be diligent. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Watch yourself. Persevere. Our faith journey, this, this walk, 
with Christ is not for us to go through alone. It's not for us to go through by ourselves. This is not a race to be won by ourselves. This is a race where it is, it's not important to be first. This is a race to be run together. This is a race where even Galatians says, be with each other, walk with each other. And other verses talk about how we need to just to come alongside when we're hurting, carry each other's burdens, right? Be there, cry with each other, pray with each other. As we've gone through the series and that we've come through these steps, and maybe you are putting the pieces back together now, that we've gone through this process that we're, we've developed these coping skills or, or ways to, to avoid temptation, now we know how to work through times of temptation sometimes. So it's important to help those as well. Those who are maybe are just beginning at that process. But again, as Paul says, be diligent. Watch your doctrine. Watch your lives. Watch your heart. Make sure you know what you're doing, what you're stepping into. And if you need help, ask for help. Regardless of, of who you are or how far you've come, we all need help sometimes. When, uh, a few years ago, when we were still studying at Prairie College, my wife and I, you know, we were there and, and we were obviously strapped for cash. We were poor college students at the time. And, and I had a friend who, was, who helped serve at the Three Hills Food Bank. And he asked me a few times, do you need help? How are you guys doing? I said, no, we're okay. We're good. And it was my pride was getting in the way. And I just kept saying, no, no, we're good. When all, for all reality, we, we weren't doing that good. But he kept kind of pestering me and, and getting his foot in there and going, are, are you okay? So finally, I, you know, I shared with Erin that you know, a friend had, had offered us help through the food bank, and she's like, well, let's go talk with them. So we went, and we made an appointment, and we went down there, and we got there. We thought we were just there to check things out and see how it worked, and he had boxes and boxes of stuff for us. He's like, Here. I know you guys have special dietary restrictions, so we went out and we got some stuff for you. That Christmas, they brought us a, a, a full meal for Christmas as well. And it was that stepping out, that being able to get over our own pride, our own ego, and say, no, we, we do need help. And it helped us so much. We have a food bank here as well in Linden. It's run out of the church. And it's all anonymous. If you need help, please. It's there for you. We're all there for you. We're there for each other. No matter where we're going through, no matter what week we've had or month or year, we're there for each other. That's the role of the church, to be people helping people, loving God, loving others, serving each other, crying together, praising God in the, you know, in the midst of the valleys. It's important, though, that we have people pouring into our lives, that we have a mentor or someone that, that we consider a good friend that can share with us God's truth when we are blind to see it ourselves. But it's also important that we can help and mentor other people, too. And so it becomes mentors mentoring others. It becomes disciples making disciples who make disciples. 
We're going to take communion today, and I'll invite the elders up for that as well already. And as they prepare and get things together, I'm going to read Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 11. It says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen and amen.